Thank you for joining the conversation today. I'm Randy Yu, Assistant Director of Collection Development and the Curator of Political, Cultural, and Social Movement Collections at Emory University's Stuart A. Rose Manuscript Archives and Rare Book Library. And you're listening to the new podcast series, Rose Library Presents, Atlanta Intersections. Atlanta Intersections explores how lives and places are bound together in this city we call home. Today, I'm talking with Atlanta artists and photographers Allie Roy Sobel and John Arch about the Rose Library's online exhibition, Our Archives Could Be Your Life. The exhibit highlights how Sobel and Arch created a unique and joyful record of queer Atlanta in the 1990s. If you would like to view the online exhibition, please go to rose.library.emory.edu and click on the Exhibitions tab. Welcome. Thanks for joining the conversation. How y'all doing today? Good morning. I'm doing fine. How about you? Fantastic. I hope so. Um, we're going to dive right in um, and talk about the exhibit. Um, y'all are both fine artists in addition to being photographers, uh, but since the online exhibition highlights your photographs, we're going to focus on that part of your practice today. Um, do you remember the first time y'all picked up a camera? I was probably 10 years old. I had a, um, a Kodak flipped disc camera that my parents gave me, which I still own. And, uh, I was about, yeah, 10 years old. It was for my 10th birthday and I took it everywhere with me, taking pictures of family, pictures of nature outside, what have you. I just just wanted to, it, it was just something fun to capture and do things. So uh, I felt like I've been doing this, yeah, ever since I was a little kid. And uh, the Kodak disc was my first camera. But uh, my true first uh, professional camera was a Canon A1, which was in college in 1995. So when you were taking pictures when you were young, did you know at that time that... Um that that was going to be part of your practice or just part of your life? Did you know that early? No, no I, it wasn't until, until I think like 1995 when I thought this is going to be what I want to do. I was always taking pictures in the eighties, uh, all the way through high school. I was on the high school, uh, catamount. We were the, uh, the Henderson Cougars. So I did pictures for the yearbook <laughs> Wow. And, um, and then in college, uh, I had a camera with me at Georgia state and I didn't get into the photography program until 95. And that's when I first started taking, uh, the first black and white photography classes. And then I changed my major to get a BFA in photography. So that was, wow. A while ago. I didn't grow up. I mean, we grew up, I grew up in a family with Dad always had a nice camera or at least a tricked out camera. Like, you know, when we got the pool, we got the underwater camera, like all the things. But we never took pictures. There was never film. Uh, <laughs> I went to art school and didn't own a camera the entire time. I think they're just a handful of photographs from there. Um, and it was the Polaroid. It, I And I didn't buy it to be a photographer and I didn't buy it to be uh it, it literally was the, just a simple Polaroid, and I did it as we'd covered before, just to take pictures of people for flashcards to remember who they were, get them to sign it. But that didn't work out, but that didn't stop me. It was only much later that I bought the Pentax, or got the Pentax, 
but that was literally only for photographing my work. Like I had had a simpler camera, a small point and shoot. Uh, those early, those early cameras that I don't even remember the brands. Uh, but you would get fisheye when you took a picture of the um, artwork. So it literally was never, I never set out to be a photographer. Uh, I still don't think of myself as any kind of photographer. Um, I mean, it's just a medium I, I work in. I guess I don't think of myself as a cartoonist or just a paper artist. It's just what can I get my hands on to, to bend reality with today? Um, that's kind of what I suspected, but I, I wasn't sure. Um, but it's interesting that you both um, didn't start out with photography, but it came up being a very important part of your practice. So in terms of the photos that are in the exhibition, um, what age were you when you started taking those photos? Were you all in your 20s or? Uh... Uh, according to my bio, I was 11. <laughs> I was at the clubs and, uh, no, uh, gosh, how old was I? Uh, that would have been 1992. So 68, 78, 88 math, 25, 24, 23, uh, right around in there. I believe I was. And then Allie. Um, I was going to the clubs. Uh, I guess I <laughs> would say 90, 91, 92 is when I was able to, uh, procure, a fake ID and uh but I wasn't taking I was taking pictures of friends more more so um I guess 91 so 19 20 years old um was probably when I started documenting and in the sense it wasn't like this is my role to document it was a, uh, a part of my enjoyment of the the evening it was a part of the practice of going out I mean you were going out and enjoying yourself but you were also it was such an excitement for me to be able to go out and be with people of my cut from the same cloth. And, uh, cause I wasn't really felt like a part of anything in high school until I got into college and then found my people and creative people. And, um, that's when I just started taking pictures of everything because I just wanted to remember and relish and remind people how much fun we were having, like take pictures the next day they were, they were uh, exposed, uh -oh. put into an album, and then shared with everyone, like, look how much fun we had. And and then it just became 25 albums later uh, and over a span of almost, you know, 10, 20 years more or longer of just photographs, photographs, photographs. I think for me, I liked being places. I mean, obviously, I liked being places, but not in person. I was terrified <laughs> to be there in person. So it was nice to get a picture of it. So I could go home and have you know enjoy being there, enjoy my time having been there. But in the moment, in any moment, right now, for instance, I'm terrified. So <laughs> I'm just screaming inside. Um, so it was something that, and then two, like I, it's always been a thing. If I can't take a photograph of it, which a lot of times I use later for the launch for however I'm going to, if I'm not interested in looking at it. I have zero interest in looking at it. If I can't take a photograph of it, if I can't be, if I'm in a moment, I'm not allowed to photograph. I'm not, I don't care who's there. I am not interested in it. It's just not so I can't it's, and it's just my mechanical. I'm not trying to steal anything from the moment. I'm not trying to capture the, I'm just, uh, I just have zero interest in, you know, like, uh, the household here where I am just got a telescope 
And it's amazing what you can see. But I was like, uh, how do you put a camera to this? Because, you know, that's nice, but I want to look at that later. I don't want to, you know, I'm out in the yard. It's night. What the fuck? Um, oh, sorry. Um, but <laughs> as you can see, it upsets me greatly to be outside at night. But um, now, but I, yeah, I, for me, the camera, it wasn't the genesis of all my creation. But once it was in my hand, mm -mm, then it always had to be in my hand. Some version of it always had to be in my hand. If I could uh, uh, piggyback on that, I I, um, I felt the same way with film and then with digital. If I ran out of film, I went home. If my if my battery died, yes. I went home. It was just kind of yes. like I got my fill. Like, I yeah, I enjoyed yeah. it. I was out. I was in it. But if I couldn't document it, it lost it lost its luster for me. Like I was just like, it was the, it was the point where I was just like, okay, Allie, it's time to go home. You don't have any more battery. I mean, I remember going and in, going into my car and plugging in like a, a car battery so I can like put in to try to like capture the rest of the evening so I can get my, my film camera or my, uh, my digital camera back up working. And I'd be missing like, you know, 30 minutes of the party just because I had wanted to then go document the party. <laughs> I was like, this makes no sense. Yes. But yes. I was just like this obsession of just like, I have to document it and I don't have any more. So I guess I'll go home now. And so it was like my light will diminish if I couldn't finish what my work was, which is, uh, uh, that's what that drive is, whatever that need is, whatever that fire is inside me. If it's depleted, then it's time to go home. If I can't document it like, like Arge, or if I can't capture it, then okay, bye. I, I, there's no more reason for me to be here. Or some people were just like, can you just put your phone, you know, your phone down or your, or your camera down or anything that you're doing, you know, and like, you know, take a break. I'm like, this is, the, I'm having fun. Like, what are you, like, this is, if I don't have it, then I, you know, it's not like I can't relax or anything, but it is something that is like, I think like Arge, you know, you have this like protective um, barrier between you and this other person that you want to be there and capture things. But without it, it's just like, I'll sit in the corner and be like, what do I do? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and I know that's not how people see either one of us, but it's kind of what is in my brain. It's funny what you say about the battery going dead. And mm -hmm. I didn't with Polaroid, the battery was in, is in the film pack. Right. There's no battery in the camera. So as long as you had film, you had battery. Mm -hmm. So I didn't ever have that happen. Now, of course I'd run out of film because it was only 10 pictures or 20 pictures, however much film you had. But that wasn't a thing that happened until the digital cameras. And like Ali, and in fact, I could give you a thing you could look up at Dick Richards thing. Cause the other part of that is the camera will only do this to me at the height of the moment. It never <laughs> runs out at my aunt's birthday or it never runs out. Like when I don't care, it's always at Dick Richards at the, uh, the uh, American music show thing. If you look at the footage, my camera did it to me during the board panel, the panel discussion. And I literally, I look back now, stopped what we were doing Digit with my camera, got up and left <laughs> to find someone from the Rose Library who had an extra thing so I could come back and then start taking pictures again. But I completely walked off of the, like, you know, you've spent 40 years trading to this moment. Oh, my camera's dead. I, wait, wait, I gotta go. 
So, yes, absolutely. If you know, I, I guess what we're hearing is this show should you should go and add an apostrophe S and camera to the end of our names, because this show is really about the fact that our cameras were there, not us. Allie, I mean, what what kept you going day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year to create creating your photo albums and take and taking those photos? <laughs> I guess an obsessive compulsive disorder in some sense. Like it was really an obsessive. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I mean, like not for nothing, but I mean, like when you, uh, you latch on to something that you really connect with, regardless of what it is, um, and something that brings you immense joy, it was that. It was to document, to photograph, to capture experiences that brought me joy. And to be around the people that brought that joy to me and to be a part of that. And um, because growing up wasn't wasn't great. You know, you struggle with, you know, your your sexuality of who you are and like missed out on a lot of good times in my high school years because I basically was hiding of just who I was. So when I basically came out at the end of high school and started college and I found my people, it was just like, Oh, I want to soak this in and, and eat it up and capture it. And it became an obsession of mine, a healthy obsession, I guess, if you have those. And, um, and it's just something that like, I, I, I must do. And I don't think that's ever going to leave. And therefore you have almost 30 years of work and I will always do it. Like it's the one thing that keeps me going, to be honest. I mean, my creativity to create art, to capture is essential in my livelihood, but my happiness, it's been a hard year not being able to do that. Um, being in with the pandemic and quarantine and isolation, it's, uh, it, sh it has shifted that there'll be a gap year, you know, unless I was photographing political, sociopolitical work, which I, have done and, and went out to do, but, um, that was not without, um, fear of being sick, but my fear was overcome by the need to document. So it's, it's that strong that I was like, I'm just going to mask up and go out and do this. So I think that's the thing that just is the fire within and that's not changing. I think for me, the only, the, me now, is as it has always been the only way to make everything stop is to keep it all going what my drive was i can't say open doors i mean i can't i just you've got to keep doing it or you've got or you stay at home and you do it and that's what this year has been you know i have dismantled every single one of my processes i have completely taken it all back to zero i have bought the right tools finally for certain things that i need to do and want to do i think to make it stop, you have to keep it going. And that's just exactly what I've done. And of course, with this year too, Dick Richards had taught me about mass behavior days, how they're not for us. And <laughs> mass behavior days are for people who need a, to be part of a larger structure, let's say. Um, so, you know, tax day, Valentine's Day, all that nonsense. But then this has kind of been one big mass behavior day. This has all been, you know, and I don't want to, I, I love it when I see pictures of people with masks on. Like, I love that it places it in this time and it will always place it in this time. And we will also know 
while you're still alive because you were wearing a damn mask. Um, so it's a mass, it's been a mass behavior thing. So the only thing I had to work on was me. I didn't really, there wasn't a lot going on. Of course I relocated immediately before, you know, landed in town on a back of a pandemic. That's just great. But, uh, I've enjoyed the house arrest this year. I mean, I'm ready to get it back out and mix it up. I, you know, uh, yes, but I have enjoyed this time. I want to talk about the exhibition now. Um, the exhibition that you've only seen online. It is an in-person, it is an in-person exhibit. But, uh, that stupid genie's Paul, where I wished for a museum show, <laughs> but I couldn't go to it. Yeah. I know. Stupid genie's Paul. Mm. <laughs> finally, finally got everything I wanted. And then you can't uh, see it. And then, but you can see, hey, y'all are the second online exhibit that Emory Libraries oh, ever did. So, so I'm so I'm 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 very proud of that. Very if, if they had that. to choose anyone to do the second online exhibition about, I'm glad it was y'all. Yeah. So, yes, thank um, but uh, what the exhibit starts with what we call the rotunda because that's because it's actually in the rotunda in the library. Um, but the rotunda is uh, we. T- taken some of your Polaroids and then we've blown them up, enlarged them, put them on transparencies and basically created light boxes for them because it's a beautiful effect because it highlights the um, kind of washed out tones that you only get with Polaroid film. Um, And so Arge, you usually work with Polaroids and then Allie, you had some of these Polaroids in your collection. Who wants to tell our listeners what a Polaroid is um, for folks who may not know? (laughs) Just about the best thing ever. I don't know what it is. (laughs) It's instant gratification personified. That is, it's just, it's, it's close. It's as close as we had then to a live feed from somewhere and because it was an object in the moment it basically is just a camera that takes a photograph uh that prints it right there it exposes a film within the camera spits it out and it develops in front of you um it's one-stop processing but it also creates a tangible object of the moment now at the time none of this i mean we weren't thinking about any of that it was just like here sign this dumb up but I look back now and realize that like you can look at photographs from time and and know where they were, but with getting signatures or getting marks on these things, it is absolutely, it's that moment. It's 5.01 PM, 1993. It's instant gratification. It's best. It really is. It just absolutely, it, it was just the best thing ever. And also the film itself, the way the process is, I don't totally understand it, but it favors blues and greens from mm-hmm. what I read. And in fact, Dr. Land, knowing this, the, the inventor of the Polaroid camera, uh, skewered all of the early press things to be blues and greens. So when he took the picture, it was gorgeous. So, <laughs> uh, and if you go through the collection, you can tell that the blues and the greens are, it, it loved them best. It also created a happening. It created a something that took the transaction of you and me or the photographer, like my subject and me, it took that personal transaction and turned it into a tiny circus where now there's a, there's something, you know, an attraction, there's a something to look at. And so it, it, it removed focus from me, which was basically the point. 
the camera was to hide behind. I, you know, I wanted an object between us. And then here now, here's, you know, here's, I guess I'm saying, here's a tiny picture of yourself to enjoy. Uh, <laughs> stop looking at me. Look at yourself some more. Um, but it is true. It just, it created it just sort of, and then inspired by it, people went on, like the night went on. And so I started the exhibition with Polaroids from each of you because I thought it was a great way to compare and contrast um, the way y'all worked with Polaroids. So um, y'all have looked at the online exhibit. What similarities do you see between your work? Uh, I think we're, we always were around creative artisans like ourselves. So if it was not at a club or people in drag or other true actual artists, painters, photographers. Um, I think the, the kind of people that we, the, the, the common denominator were the people that we surrounded ourselves with. They were different crews of people, but um, they were all of the same kind of uh, piece of cloth, you know? Uh, and I would say that would be the similarity. And if I may, with the contrast, um, the pictures, the Polaroids that are in the exhibit um, I had shot with Polaroids, not in the same vein as Arge, but I um, like to manipulate them further into little pieces of art as opposed to the photograph being the image, but then the actual photograph was uh, manipulated with a wooden tool as the Polaroid was under exposure and slowly developing, you can actually manipulate the, um, the, the process of where the development goes. So I would take, um, a, a wooden stick tool or something with a blunt edge and actually groove into it. And then you get these little pieces of art that are photographic. So it was my first real mixed media, if you will, using the Polaroids. And that was something that I had learned, um, at Georgia State University in the photography program doing um, uh, alternative media from photography. So that was my little, that would be my difference, the contrast for, for us between the, at the show. Well, in one, hang on, Arj, one similarity oh, yeah. that I would <laughs> like to uh, draw upon is you both write on the bottom of the Polaroids. Uh, what, what did y'all write on the bottom of Polaroid of the Polaroids? Well, yeah, and I think the difference with, with Arge was that he he would have the actual subject would be the person to sign it, where I would just make sure I knew, like Arge, who the people are in the picture. So I would put the date and who the person is, and it would be my handwriting as opposed to the subject's handwriting. That I love that Arge has that. Well, but so, Allie, this is part of your, like, kind of documentary process. You would take the um, Polaroid, mm -hmm. you would manipulate it, but then you would write who was there, where you were at, what the date was. It was a real kind of documentary uh, process, right? Yes, very much so. Uh, and I did that with my other album, with the albums as well, not just with the with the the Polaroids, but that was the purpose of the albums, which I very much miss now with digital because you just throw it into a little folder on your desktop, and it's just like, it just I don't get the joy at all of sharing or holding. It's not tangible, so I miss that very much. Um, I miss that a lot. Maybe I'll get back into doing, go back into Polaroid now, and you know. 
to be able to do that again because it's you know resurgence again. It's it's every, you can get one at a you know your local uh, whatever it is uh, Urban Outfitters. You can buy uh, all sorts of cameras now and film in here. Um, so Arch, there's writing on the bottom of your Polaroids, but um, Ali says it's not your writing. So who who wrote on the bottom of your Polaroids? Oh, uh, generally the subjects. Generally anybody that was in them. There, I, I wrote on some. Or if I didn't get signatures, if something happened, uh, no, my writing's all on the back of the Polaroids. When I got home, I would write down the information that she wrote, not necessarily who was in it. I would write down the night where it was. And I guess, looking back at it, and I think I've mentioned this before, uh, so I would write the first two letters from every word in the title, I think is how, so like American Music Show is AMU, but I guess, I don't know. But at least they're all there. Like that information's all there. Um, but, Shorthand by Arch. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's my like, you know. Yeah, it's all there, but only translatable really? by, by Arch. I guess what I'm saying is my, my biggest dream would always be to have one of those shitty secretaries <laughs> that never, that always did it, but never really write. And then I couldn't afford that, obviously. But so I would just be my own Selma Diamond and just like, you know, begrudgingly write down the information, but wrong. Um, and also, I think what I'm hearing is, this isn't a tribute to Polaroid at all. This is a tribute to Sharpie. So, Arj, how did you start to get people to sign the Polaroid photographs that you took? And again, it's one of those weird things where all the tools were in place, but I don't remember collecting them or having an idea about what I'm like going to do with them when I leave. Now, Sharpies were already a huge part of my world because of the drawings. I must have had a Sharpie, and I guess I handed it to them and just said... Maybe I just said write on it but or, or sign your name, autograph it. Probably autograph is what I said. And I it very quickly became a thing. Like it wasn't like all it took was one pack and everybody. I mean, who's not going to want to autograph their picture, own picture? I mean, that's not, I mean, that's a given. My job was done for me there. Yeah, I mean, I just, I had all the tools with me. I had from the very beginning. I was so scared and it's such a, you know, I had to go out, but I was scared to go out. And uh, I thought I, I I couldn't remember who people were, uh, so I thought if I take their picture and get them to sign it, then it's like a flashcard. Then it's a it's like I'll have their image and their name, and I can. But I pretty quickly figured out figured out that you know I don't know you're in a wig. I can't read scribble. That's not even your real name. And then later, like ten years later, I figured out they're just all Ross or Shemansky. Like it's just <laughs> nice. Yes. The best part, I think, was Andrew Trevitt. Andrew, darling, Andrew yeah. Trevitt. Uh, he did a drag character called Scintilla Vortex. Uh, he had a clothing line. He was magnificent. Mm. He was the first one. It was at my friend Gigi's party that it was a big group shot. Like it was usually I didn't do shots quite that big because the Polaroid has its limits. Like it's not, you know, you can't put 15 people in a picture. Um he got it first and he wrote his name absolutely the size of the white part at the bottom and then scribbled around the, the uh, so no one else could sign it, like scribbled around the, the border. And so no one else could sign it. So everyone else who signed it drew on him. <laughs> so there's a few signatures, but he's got devil's horns, crazy eyes. Somebody wrote Bill Hallman on his shirt like because he was a that was a, a, another fashion designer in town. Um so it's it's one of my favorite pieces because it is where it's where I feel like it was a point where my creative process 
was taken away from me and then handed back to me. Like, I feel like, like the process, like I was only, this process only existed because I needed something to do and I was scared. But then to see it become part of the evening was really great. It's probably my favorite Polaroid. Well, and that brings up a great point because Allie, you shared your photographs too, right? Um, that was an important part of your process. Yes. I would go and take pictures of the evening and immediately go to the Wolf camera in Midtown and, <laughs> and drop them off in the overnight box with a note saying, have these ready by 10 a.m. And they would because it would every weekend or several times a week, I would be dropping off five rolls of film and I'd walk in, they'd, they'd know me, and I would pick up a brand new album that they would sell in the lobby area. And, um, and sometimes if um, I knew that, you know, when you're shooting film, it's very different when you're shooting digital because you can, you don't know what you're going to get. Where digitally you can, you know, you can edit as you go or do this, that, and the other. But you've got 36 shots for the night, you know, or more, depending on how much you could afford to buy film. And um, you had to make them count. And so I was a Wolf Card member. So either I got a discount off of the one, you know, roll of film that was being <clears throat> exposed and, and developed, or you got uh, prints, a uh, second pair for free. So sometimes I would do a second pair and then I'd give them to people, or I would do, you know, or if I was just like needing to afford it. Then I would take the discount and then I'd put them all in an album and then we'd have a house party dinner at a at Cafe Diem or, you know, going a place where we could all gather. And then I would be like here I and I bring the albums and people and, and I would spend my entire morning laying out the pictures chronologically, writing down people's names, where we were. And the albums was like a table of contents. You opened up the front of the album and on the inner thing was a table of contents with the dates. And there would be, you know, sometimes depending on if it was pride, which would take up half the album, or it could be five or 10 uh, different events going on, which would take up the album. But then you have these storybooks basically. And, um, and I very much enjoyed sharing them with people because I was kind of looking at the night for the first time again in a storyline book. So it's just like a creation of a documentation of our lives in real time. And it was just like, people were loving it. Like, like with art just became a thing where, you know, people would want to sign their, their name on the thing on the Polaroid. And with mine, it was just like, Oh, uh, let's go look at all the albums and um, see what we did. Or even, you know, going back late years later, we'd reminisce and go like, let's look at the pictures from the 90s, you know, the early 90s. And, you know, oh, remember that haircut or look at that look or whatever. Yeah, and, where'd uh, she go? <laughs> and some of us had some really bad looks and uh, bad haircuts. And All right. I want to interject. Uh, it's <laughs> funny something Allie just said. I mean, here's the thing about Allie. And I, like, I mean, people, people should know that like Allie and I did not know each other at this time. It was 2009 before Allie and I met. Correct. Um, and I guess I'll put it in sort of like a, it was 2009 before I met, maybe later, 2010 before I met Grant Henry, who's Sister Louisa. And he sat down in open conversation by saying, I have been anticipating this situation <laughs> for 15 years. <laughs> so Allie, I knew of Allie, I, or I, you know, 
people were around. Well, I knew you when you lived but, uh, on Mitchell Street, when you lived above Allie and Heidi. Yes, yes, okay. But we didn't, we weren't friends. We didn't connect. We, we didn't, other, you know. And so it was funny because now everybody's just an Instagrammer. Everybody's world is just goes into the one news feed. But at the time, right. we were a mile apart for 15 years in a completely overpopulated palace of sh- craziness. But we didn't only, I mean, I look back now and it's like, it's almost like that was a different, like I look at Ali's work and I think, okay, that was a different show. Mm-hmm. I had this show and then there were some guest stars that were on both shows, but the core group was this show. Like it was my, like there were just two networks going on in town. Well, I would show up in one of your Polaroids and I'd be like, oh yeah, I was at that party. And oh my God, I didn't know I was in one. I forgot <laughs> that I was in one of Arge's pictures and so, it's signed and it's just like, oh wow, crazy. But it was interesting what you said about you would give out the extra prints mm-hmm. because that was one thing I did. I would take all the Polaroids and if you lay them out, six six Polaroids, bottom to bottom, are an eight and a half by 11 sheet. So you could lay them out, for color photocopy, cut them out. And then the next week when I went out, I would have a pack. I had I made a little cover with a piece of art on it and an envelope. And I would have 50 packs some weekends going out. And I would give everybody a copy of the picture I took of them last weekend or the weekend before. Again, this is just this weird parallel. We're both kind of in the same, you know, she, uh, she did manipulate the Polaroids. I never, and in fact, I was, there are people out there who would tell you how angry I got with them when I would catch them doing it. (laughs) I gave it to you to sign, not screw up. And it really was just in my creative process, when we're headed somewhere, I need to know exactly where we're landing. I don't like undones. I don't like, you know, there wasn't a lot of control and I, I don't know if you can tell, but I don't like (laughs) relinquishing control. I want to kind of go back Allie to the, what we call the corridor, which is where the pages from your photo albums uh, are these remarkable albums that are in your collection. So um, I chose individual pages from individual item of individual albums to put up there. Um, but it, they continue your, they really illustrate your documentary, um, practice because the people are identified, the place is identified, they're in order, they're dated. It's, you included other things like stickers and fortune cookies. And so they really are kind of an art practice. Was that intentional or did that just kind of evolve over time? No, that was a hundred percent intentional. Um, again, it's almost, uh, was a, a mixture of, it, it's kind of mixed media before I even thought about what that even meant. I mean, taking moments like, uh, stickers from a party or a, um, a flyer or something is again, such a moment in time now, just because we don't get those tangible items as much. And it almost was a scrapbooking, if you will. I mean, it was a moment in time if it was like a junk, a Junko uh, sticker from like the raver days on the top. <laughs> you knew that this was like the mid nineties, you know? So I, I love, pants you know, are dirty. <laughs> your pants are dirty. <laughs> Could you not mop up the floor with those? Um, but I think uh, always I, I'd kept a diary since I was um, nine. So to, to write down 
moments in time has always been a part of my world. Yeah, since I was a child. So it was just an extension of diary keeping with the photographs to keep that information lined up. And Arj, you also kept journals too. We have, Allie, we have your journal from when you were nine years old in the case. Can you describe that diary? Yes. Um, it was my first diary. <laughs> it's a Garfield diary because I was <laughs> obsessed with Garfield. And uh, <laughs> it's got Garfield on the front and uh, it had a little latch key to lock it up so no one could get into it. And, um, and I had written all over it like, any one of you touch this, even you, <laughs> whoever you are, my parents, my sister, whoever, you'll Burglars. die. <laughs> you'll die. Exclamation point times 20 across it in my shitty cursive handwriting. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's chock full of like some real deal childhood life growing experiences. And um, I, I I love that piece of uh of work because it's such a, uh, an honest approach from a child's eyes of um, growing up in the eighties and dealing with life and probably a lot of things that kids just normally deal with. And um, so, yeah, Garfield was my, uh, my first one and um, I still am writing today. So you got your first journal at nine and your first camera at 10. That kind of launched you on your documentary um, course, whether you knew it or not, right? Yeah, I think it's quite interesting when you do look back like that. And um, and I was always uh, artistic, always drawing, doodling, um, sketching, just on pieces of random paper, always. So, and I always knew that I was... I was going to be an artist. Like there was nothing else that I knew that I wanted to be. Like there was no, like, I want to be this. I want to be that. No, it's like, I want to, I want to be an artist. And, um, tenacity is definitely the word Arj. I mean, like when you think about the resilience and the tenacity of uh, knowing yourself, regardless if you are still figuring out who you are, but I can say I knew who I was, as a child and those things just came to me and I took them and ran with it and it is who I am. And that's what I did. Well, and that, that kind of brings an interesting transition to your part of the corridor arch, because in the case across from Allie's um, diary is your journal, but your journal is different from everybody else's journal because <laughs> your journal is visual. Tell, tell people how, how you used to keep a journal. All right. I, it starts back uh, with childhood, I guess. Um, you know, I asked my mom once about my childhood. And she's like, you know, I, mm, there's not really much I can tell you. And I was like, well, you know, give me something. And she said, well, let's see. At the, you were born 40 and at the age of nine, you turned 15. <laughs> like, Allie got these things early. My thing, like, and again, like she touched on your remembrance from high school. Like, you're hiding... My problem was I was gay. My problem was I was an adult. <laughs> I'm bored. <laughs> I'm bored with this. I'm not like, and I think and my, most of my teachers agreed with it. Like the ones who really saw what was going on. So it wasn't, I was just waiting to be 25. And that's when it all locked in. I mean, I think that that all, but what happened was I, you know, I, art was the only thing. Art was the only thing. And even my art from high school is very adult in, in, in nature. 
but so I went to art school and that structure was never by, you know, I don't, it's surprising to learn that I have a problem with authority figures since I am one, but, <laughs> and always have been since the age of six mother. Um, but no, I think that like school, but it did, it taught me everything. Like I got an amazing education at SCAD. I really did. Um, mostly what not to do, but, but it really, it did lock him. If it's there to lock in who you are and what you're going to do, then it, it worked. And subsequently, after being removed from or asked to leave school, I got a job in the service industry at a bed and breakfast there. And it ended up winning four stars. And, you know, it, it was a very nice, nice place, the Gastonian in Savannah, Georgia. And I kind of thought that was it. I was out of art and there wouldn't be art in my future. But of course, you're still frustrated. So I started keeping a journal but I kept it in sort of a graphic novel style. And, you know, there were a lot of words and me and words never, I mean, obviously this interview will tell you that words are not my friends. Like, let me just work in imagery, but <laughs> a lot of words, a lot of images. And if you see the one that's on display is the first one. There were two, there were one and a half. The second one, much bigger journal. Like I'm breaking out. Like it's one of the biggest, it was the biggest sketchbook you could buy. Remember those big, lovely 11 by 14, and again, but the images were stronger. And if you notice right before the pages just go blank, it was one strong image with words around it. And then by then I had found the nightclubs. I had found my, you know, the people I loved. I realized you didn't need the words anymore. And also the drawings didn't belong in a book. They belonged in a magazine or out there or on a flyer. They didn't, what good is, I, I've never been an artist who creates sketchbooks or at home or like if it's again what have i said it's you know they're my children but this is an orphanage so they need to go um <laughs> so <laughs> so uh yeah the book like the, that the journal was what it was and it basically was maybe my therapist maybe that's what it was maybe i never talked to anybody but myself that makes sense doesn't it um but it is strange now to step back and see it. And and again, this has been, I think, the gift of the Rose Library or the collection, let's say. This has been the gift that I get to see my work through the curator's eyes. But I also get to see it finally presented in relevance with the things that were, the, the how do you say it? The, the ambiance of the town around it. You know, there was, even though I wasn't part of what Allie was doing a mile down the road, people were going between the two things. It was connected. Um, so you get to see the work, like, because that's where I wanted to collect. Like the collection, I knew the collection had a worth through Polaroid. Like the Polaroid, just the fact that there's that many Polaroids, it had some worth through that. That takes it out of the context in which it was created. So I knew that I wanted the collection to be back somewhere where other collections being created at the same time were near it and it could be shown and presented in relation to that. Uh, and that's been the biggest gift is to see what you created can stand on its own. You know, you don't, you know, the day is coming a shock that I won't be here. Um, I feel like it can stand on its own. I feel like what what was created can stand on its own or at least can be relatable to another subject. 
Right, because I'm sure you that I selected some stuff. You're like, why did he pick that? Um, what is what is that process to go through when you you look at your work on a wall? Do you ever have that question? Is like, why did they choose that, or how does that fit? Because most most people don't have that kind of an experience to see their work on a wall that someone else chose. So, what's it like to go through kind of that process? Allie? I mean, when you when you have thousands of photographs to choose from, there's only so many things you can really try to figure out what works. And, um, I, you know, I think you gave me, me, us, a, a little snapshot into our worlds. You know, my my world is consistent of family, friends and art. And that's pretty much it. And, um, you know, on a personal note, uh, I'm really thankful that you had uh, one of my albums uh, pages that had a picture of my mom and my dad from uh, one of my first art shows um, in 1998. And um, sadly, I you know lost my mom um, at the beginning of last year. And then this show comes about and it was just like, oh, wow. Like I, that was a picture that I wouldn't have thought that would have been included, but, and you wouldn't have known that. But it was actually a really beautiful gift that you did. Um, so she was actually a part of the show, even though she wasn't able to be a part to see it. So um, on that note, um, I think the universe just works in the way it needs to be. And what you choose is, uh, is the way it's supposed to be. I mean, the universe has led us all to where we are, how we've met, how we've all found each other. So um, I, I trust you completely. And so... Um, I'm very happy with with everything that you have uh, chosen for us. I'm going to second that. Basically, it just you know you can't uh, certainly in my collect in my creating, I've only ever known what I want to say. I have no idea what to tell you. Okay, there's no and I can't you know and even if I know what you want to hear, I still can't tell you to. I can only tell you in the way I say it. So subsequently, I. I mean, if you asked me to pick five, sure, but I couldn't really. Uh, you could go in that. I, you know, again, it's nice that the body of work can be selected from and still have a cohesive meeting, still have, still be presented. Um, so, uh, and you'd pick five different ones every time. And subsequently, it should never be, this is the part of the process where I shouldn't be in it at all. Um, and I guess I had sort of learned that early on in art shows. Uh, you know, I did learn the hard way that my favorite piece in it was going home with me at the end of the night. It was never going to sell. It would sell at the next show. But this was a benchmark. I People are like, wow, what is that? Like, you know, they the familiar. People do want the familiar. Uh, so like I said, so I had kind of learned that a long time ago. Uh, that... Well, I don't know that it really that people will curate what they want, like uh, the viewer will curate what they want out of it. You know, you pick five, but there will be one image in there that each viewer picks for themselves or only remembers the journals, not the pictures. So what would you like viewers to take away from this exhibition? I don't know, because here's the thing. I hope you find what you need or am inspired by something you saw. I mean, I can't, I didn't create it to tell you something, like I said. So the takeaway would be that 
you know, these people get the respect. You know, there's certain drag performers that in their lifetime that I have pictures of, you know, that was, there was never a fair break. There was never a fair break, but when they were on, it was so good. If you could see that moment on stage or that moment of like posing, if that's what I'm just very grateful for that, that it can, that, yeah, I would hope that anyone who comes to look at it, sees the thought and the care in which it's presented and was created. I, I mean, I, 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 100% 100% agree with you, Arge. I, I feel like if people want to come and look at the library to to gain some perspective, I think that's a, a really important thing when, when we talk about, I think perspective is really uh, huge. Like you're, you're talking about transvestites being thrown in the back of, uh, of paddy wagons, and then you've got, you know, March on Washington in 93, where you have a president who's actually not against you and, you know, is, is, uh, we're fighting for freedom and, and our rights and such. And then you're going to where we are now. And you, you, it, you can see that there's growth in life and that it, uh, you know, they, you know, the Trevor project, you know, it gets better. It, 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 it does, it does get better. And, uh, and we are able to be uh, a part of that history to uh, to educate people in a culture of uh, of life in Atlanta and um, and I'm really pleased to to say that uh, that I'm a person that you can look upon to get that information. Um, it's you know again grateful honor. I. Uh, I, I, when you say, oh, well, when scholars come and look, it's that just still just, what? <laughs> that just blows my mind. <laughs> it's mine and yours. It's our eyes. And, um, you know, and it's forever. So uh, there's nothing uh, more amazing. That That is a true gift. To talk to the students and to hear them talking about the, about the collection of the archives that Rose Library is creating in the gay and lesbian and have them say just off the cuff how fortunate they were because they'd never had that as gay and lesbians to study in any major institution. That was mind blowing. That was, that was a dog with a car moment for me. That was like to know that it wasn't no, I mean, I couldn't have, when I was in college, there was no major institution. I've got, if you'd asked for homosexuality, a library, I mean, there was that one librarian that would get it for you, but (laughs) but you know, your name was going on a list. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So uh, a magnificent opportunity, just an absolutely magnificent opportunity all the way around. So your work is housed in an academic research library, not in an art gallery in an art museum. Um, So what's it like to have your, you know, because that means that exhibits like this one that it's presented in appear in a different kind of a context. Um, So what's it like to see your work presented as history and art? I'm still mind blown over the fact that my work is housed permanently in a library, especially Emory. Um, It's, it's a true honor to be able to have something that you've worked on as something is just natural 
life that we were doing, that people were interested in something that we were just doing as kids and just enjoying ourselves and living our lives. And to be able to have a body of work that will live forever. And there is a difference uh, between, you know, it's, it's wonderful if you're in a, a gallery and that you have your show up, your work on a, on a gallery wall and, and people are there to see it and, you know, and maybe even take pieces home with you. But like, those are moments in time that are actually captured. I've, I've captured those moments that are actually now in the library. So it's, it's like, it's the best of both worlds, to be honest. And it was something that I would have never, ever imagined to be possible. And the fact that Arge and I are both collected, it's just like, we, I've always joked with Arge, you know, that we're just going to grow old one day eating um, porridge out of the same bowl, <laughs> rocking on the same front porch somewhere, but we actually will like literally be together forever and I'm I'm ecstatic about that. Um, I couldn't be uh, more 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 gracious and have such gratitude to you, Randy, for for selecting the work. And um, it's fantastic. And I I just it it it's a it's a it's a huge honor. Uh, uh, yeah, I this is that one, and I've said before. I've said before. I don't have anything to say. I, I it's. To me, you know, I guess in a small way, it's a vindicate, not a, you don't want to use that word, but nonetheless, back in the day, we talk about our worlds, but neither of them intersected Emory or (laughs) academia, let's say. Neither of them now, it's just like, and to see how it is actually, you know, that culture, academia can't, can't exists without culture and culture wouldn't exist without academia. So it was a peanut butter cup. Somebody needed to figure out. (laughs) And my favorite shows is I noticed like the high museum show that was about like the first two really amazing art shows. I went to at museums. First was Naples and it was a Picasso exhibit. Second was at Emmer at uh, Ali and I went to the, the Dolly show at the high. In addition to the work, there were a number of personal items or relatable subjects at the time that were maybe driving him, uh, both of them, both Dolly and and Picasso. And that made a so much better show to me that you could see these things, the reason why they exist. Like everybody can stand in front of art. I mean, I don't look at the art I create. I mean, it gets done, it gets gone. But to, uh, to see the things, to review the stupid letter Dick sent me or the, you know, the crazy flyer that was out that week that we were all laughing at. It just, to see those things is what makes the body of work. To see to see it there and know that it's protected, but also, too, it doesn't require me to explain it. It can stand on its own. And if it's something weird, there's probably something to relate it to in her collection or in another collection there. Uh, that nothing is an orphan. Um, And I think that it better sets up a collection to have the culture of the time in it. I mean, I I really think that, you know, no, did I do, do I do anything to have it be applauded? I mean, that's what you want. So you create your things to be the best they can. 
or can be or to be the best that they are, the, uh, the best representation, let's say. Uh, but I have to do it anyway, so it wouldn't matter. I mean, in all in all the times people weren't looking or saying anything, I was still making stuff and leaving it. I mean, or it went into a book. It went into a little tiny book that then only I saw, like my journal. Or the stickers. I mean, that's basically how I kind of launched Arge, were those stickers that I would leave around. But anonymously and not, it just, it, it will manifest itself. Just make sure it manifests itself well. And that's all you can, just keep yourself steered happily. Um, it means to see it like this, I, I can't even, it's like, a, you know, it's like a dog chasing a car. It can't drive it, but it won't stop him from chasing it. So I don't understand what I don't. I stand in that rotunda and virtually and think, well, this is insane. Like they, they're going to figure this out. I need to get off this planet before they figure it out and make me leave. <laughs> Atlanta Intersections is produced by Randy Yu and Nick Twomlow. Jacob Chisinau is our editor in the legendary Band With No Name featuring Jimmy Deemer and James Joyce created and performed our theme music. We're grateful for the support of our colleagues at the Rose Library, especially Low Leader Row, Community Outreach Archivist, Jennifer Gunther King, Director of the Rose Library, and Yolanda Cooper, Dean of Emory Libraries. Special thanks to the Emory Library's exhibitions team, Kathy Dixon, John Klingler, and Caroline Corbett. Thanks, as always, to the Tots Till Death crew, the Jimi Hendrix Experience, Discharge, Joe Strummer, Etta James, and Crass for inspiration. Please join us next month for Episode 7 of Atlanta Intersections. For more information about the Rose Library and our other podcast series, please visit us on the web at rose.library.emory.edu and follow the Rose Library on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find the Rose Library's podcast on all your favorite podcast feeds. Thanks for joining the conversation.